I don't think I really truly smiled <laughs> from the heart for about a year. I was so afraid if I smile, if I crack a smile, people aren't going to take me seriously. This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a Maine business leader whose life or business was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series helps us to make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank and Maine Technology Institute, or MTI. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before. Which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. Block was a uh, successful journalist. She worked for over three decades with News Channel 13 in Portland, Maine, bringing stories into our homes every night. She was also very involved with causes that she felt had important stories. In January of 2019, Kim slipped on a patch of ice and banged her head multiple times against the ground, which resulted in a traumatic brain injury. After a year of therapy and healing, Kim realized that she was going to have to walk away from the career she loved and the stories that meant so much to her. Today, I'm going to talk with Kim about what it was like to come to terms with walking away from the newsroom, her continued recovery today, and how she is continuing to stay involved with the stories that made her a part of Maine's community for so many years. Thank you, Kim, so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Andrea. It's so nice to talk to you. So let's start with where did you go to school and, and what brought you to Maine? Well, I grew up in mostly in the Washington, D.C. area, and then I went to college at Indiana University in Bloomington. And it was during my senior year there that I met somebody who also was studying broadcast journalism. I majored in that and also had another major in Spanish. And he had come back to college after being gone for about six years to work in the radio news industry and had left before getting his degree. So had some time on his hands, came back for his final semester. We were from the same area and we became friends. He became a mentor to me. And he offered me a job when I graduated at a radio station in Portland, Maine. And I had to look on a map, quite honestly. I hadn't spent much time in New England and looked wonderful. And hey, a job offer at you know your senior year, who's going to turn that down? Absolutely. So that's what originally brought me to Portland in 1978. And were you excited about having a career in radio? I was thrilled. I did a little bit of television work in college and of course studied, you know, some of the classes, but mostly I just loved telling stories and I loved using my voice to tell stories. I've always enjoyed reading out loud and narrating things and I worked at the college radio station, so it was a natural transition for me. And I thought I would stay in radio. That first job didn't last as long as I would have liked. It lasted about 8 years and it was kind of a complex situation, but it was time to go. And I had just survived one of those awful Maine winters. It would have been uh, the winter of 1979. And we had one of those terrible blizzards. And 
this was maybe February or March when I left and I thought, why do people live here? <laughs> this, is, this is horrible. So I went home back to DC area for a little bit and thought, I'm going to go back to Maine and, and really experience a full spring and summer and fall. And so I did, and I'm so glad I did. And I worked a lot of odd jobs, just trying to pay my rent and a cocktail waitress and worked temp jobs in different offices any kind of part-time work I could find. And in the meantime, I also got a part-time job at WCSH radio, which is at the time was partnered with channel six, the television and radio stations were in the same building. So that was kind of fun. And so I would be cocktail waitress by night and news reporter by day. And then I finally got an interview. There was an opening at WGAN radio, which was at the time also owned by Guy Gannett and the TV station was in the same building. And I did, I did get that job. And so I started working again, finally full-time in radio in 1980. And I did that for about two years or so. And what, what a great group of people and so many wonderful mentors. And what was so nice was I got to know all of the television folks as well. They were right down the hall and we all worked together. And there were a lot more radio news reporters in the market at that time. I was there maybe a year and a half, but I, I felt like it was time to move on from there as well. But I wasn't sure if I wanted to leave Maine at that point and try maybe a bigger market in radio or perhaps see what was involved in the television news world. And so since I had access, I asked the news director if I could job shadow some of the folks that I'd come to know on the weekends when I wasn't working and kind of learn that trade a bit. And he was more than open to it. And that was really wonderful. So I got to learn the different approaches between radio and television news reporting, obviously one being more visual than the others. And I thought just for the experience of it. I'd like to apply for the first job that opens up here at the television station. I do love Maine and this would be really interesting work. And the first job that opened up was this six o'clock news anchor job. So I, I knew I had very little chance at this, but I went to the news director who I knew just from working down the hall. And I said, you know, I'd really like to apply. And he said, sure, kid. And so I'd, I'd arrange a time and I would go to my boss at the radio station. I'd say, I'm going to apply for this job. I want to be really open about it. And then I would go in and they wouldn't have time for me or it just wasn't convenient. And they were flying people in from all over the country with television experience. And after this happened a couple of times, I kind of marched myself into the news director's office and said, you know, just because I'm this kid down the hall at the radio station doesn't mean you can just tell me I'm going to audition and then and take it away. I mean, I have to get the time off and I'm trying to prepare for this. And, and I know, you know me, but this doesn't seem fair. And he looked at me kind of aghast. <laughs> and then he said, Oh, you want to audition? Okay, let's go. And right then and there, without really any preparation, or wearing what I would have wanted to wear for a job yeah, interview yeah. like that, we marched into the TV studio and I sat down in front of a teleprompter for the very first time. And I sat on this desk and at, on a chair at the desk and the chairs were not adjustable. I'm quite short, I'm only 5'1", and I wasn't tall enough <laughs> over the desk. So they had to bring out a phone book. Many of you may remember phone books, but it, it was 
the largest one they could find, Manhattan. And I sat on this phone book and I was in the middle of trying to read these moving words on a teleprompter. And I slid off of the phone book underneath the desk. I'm on the floor dying. I can hear the crew laughing and I'm sitting there thinking, what do I do now? And I thought, well, I guess you just keep going. So I just got up and sat down and picked up in the middle of the sentence and kept going. And I got the job, Andrea. (laughs) And lo and behold, you know, the news director said it was It was kind of that moment that sealed the deal for me because in live television that hopefully not anything quite that embarrassing, but a lot can go wrong. But that's how I got my foot in the door. Had you had any aspirations of working in television before then? No, I really hadn't. Ironically, I grew up without a television set. My family just didn't really believe in it. So I didn't really have aspirations to be a television news reporter. It's just ironic that I wound up working in that that field. But when you think about the fact that I was only the second female anchor in Portland, Maine, and that wasn't all that long ago. Yeah. So, so what was it like for women in the industry at that point in time? Well, I think for one thing, we really had to work hard to earn our credibility more so than men. And as a young woman with not a lot of experience, that was a challenge for me. And I don't think I really truly smiled (laughs) from the heart for about a year. I was so afraid if I smile, if I crack a smile, people aren't going to take me seriously. And it took me a while to to get that combination of being yourself and exuding warmth and being professional at the same time, because I was so worried about being taken seriously. And also from the very beginning of my career, and I cannot say this has changed, sadly, for women, there was such a focus on what we wore and what we looked like and our hairstyles and our makeup, but none of the men were getting this kind of mail. And it still, it still is very true that women are judged more on their appearance, which is unfortunate because there's so much more to the job than that. And, and I think one of the other things as a young woman in broadcasting was I didn't, I couldn't see the future very well. There weren't very many women that I could look to who had long careers in the business at that point. There was Barbara Walters and Diane Sawyer, but very few women who were in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. And so that was a real concern of mine. How long can I sustain this work in front of a camera? And that was very important to me, that that women be allowed to age in front of a camera, not just behind it or you know, just in the job in general. And fortunately, I think that that is changing or has changed. And and you did have a long career, right? Because was your career with WGME was 38 years. Is that right? Yeah. 39 actually. So So what kept you there for that? Like, I imagine you must've had offers to go to other markets or, you know, different opportunities that came your way. What kept you in Portland on the air with WGME for 39 years? I just fell in love with Maine and also with being a reporter in this market. It's been so rewarding to be in Portland, Maine reporting all these years. And that's not always true of a market this size. So the work was really fulfilling and the market grew as well. Then I met my husband and we had two children and it's a wonderful place to raise a family. And that just sealed the deal for me. 
And I'm so glad because not many people have the chance for that kind of longevity and to stay in one television market as long as I did. Do you think that being in this sort of smaller media market allowed you to connect with the community in a way that would have been different had you been in a large market? Absolutely. I mean, (laughs) you just get to know people here and it's such a giving community. And for all the time I was reporting, I was also working very hard to be involved in my community and and staying connected with organizations that were doing meaningful work. I was working very early on to help raise awareness about the AIDS crisis, for instance, when a lot of people weren't even talking about that publicly. And through that work, I got involved with the Franny Peabody Center and and then became the recipient of, of the Franny Peabody Center Award, which really meant a lot to me. And I just have made lifelong friends and met incredible families just really fighting courageous battles. It sounds like all of that was really fulfilling your kind of career passion of journalism. Exactly. Exactly. I never wanted to, you know, just sit behind a desk somewhere. I wanted to be involved and to help, you know, bring a voice to people, which is why most people get into journalism in the first place. And, but also to try to make a difference. And I, you know, found a way to do that through storytelling. So Kim, you were on the air for 39 years. It sounds like you had built some really strong connections within the main community. And you were headed to work on a Thursday in January of 2019. Can you tell tell us what happened that day? I had just returned from a Christmas vacation. Both my kids were home and we'd had just a wonderful time together. And I wanted to go back to work on Inauguration Day, January 3rd, because Maine was inaugurating its first female governor. And I was excited about being able to be there anchoring for yet another milestone in Maine's wonderful history. And then the next day, my family went skiing and they took my car, which had great snow tires, and I borrowed my husband's truck. And we had one of those snowstorms in Maine where there was just very light, light snow falling. It had been warm, and so things had had frozen and then unfrozen and frozen up again, and there was this light snow falling. And I, I made it up the top of my very steep driveway and realized that I had forgotten my phone. Now, in most cases, people would probably say, well, no problem, I'll get it later. But in the newsroom, the phone is really a tool. If you're on the anchor desk, somebody may text you some breaking news. You're also responsible for social media postings. And because I was on the anchor desk for 90 minutes at a time, I really knew that I needed that. And so I I knew I had to go back down into the house. I was anxious to get to work on time. So I was walking you know, at a, at a clip, but I decided to go down my yard because I knew it would be less slippery than my driveway, which it was. And I made it all the way almost to my front porch. And there was a patch of ice that I did not see because it was covered by that snow. And the next thing I knew, my legs swooped out from underneath me and I landed on the back of my head on that block of ice. And then my head popped up and smashed again on that block of ice popped up again and back on the ice. So a couple of times. And as that happened, I instinctively uttered the words, "Uh uh-oh, 
because I had this sensation that I'd never had before, Andrea. I, I felt the inside of my brain sloshing back and forth onto either side of my skull. It was a very strange feeling. And I just knew innately this was not good. <laughs> I laid there on the ground for a while. I'm not sure how long. I couldn't quite get my brain to tell my legs to stand up. So I had to really think about it. And eventually I said, it's cold and you're lying in the ground and you need to get up and walk. And so I was able to do that. And I, I walked into the house and I sat down in a chair. I had a bit of a throbbing headache, but I was feeling okay. And I called the newsroom and I said, I'll, I'll be in. I hit my head, but I think I'm okay. And I drove into work and I, I felt a little weird, but I thought, you know, it's okay. It's just 90 minutes. And I went onto the set. I told my coworkers about it. I remember at one point putting my head in my hands, but beyond that, I just kind of plowed through. But what I noticed was that the already very bright lights in the studio were intensifying and the noises were getting so loud. My co-anchor's voice just sounded like he was shouting through a megaphone and I was having difficulty moving and reading the words. By the end of, I made it through the six o'clock news. I had another newscast at seven o'clock, but I just knew something was not right. And Everybody there encouraged me um, not to do the next newscast. And so my husband was back at that point and he and my son took me to the emergency room. And when I went there, the doctor evaluated me and asked me if I had ever had a concussion before. And I recalled that about 10 years prior, I had slipped on the back of my skirt going down my stairs with a heel and, and tumbled and landed on the front of my head. And had what I would call a, a slight concussion at that point. I had some noise and light sensitivity for about a week to car doors shutting and those kinds of things, but it went away. And I conveyed that experience to him. And he said, that's, that's probably what's going to happen here. That's usually what happens in good 85% of cases. And I can see just judging from what you're telling me symptomatically that you've had a concussion and you need to go home and rest and, you know, give it a couple days. And I said, well, how about if I go back and anchor the 11 o'clock news? Oh, and he said, no, nah, probably not. And I said, well, what about tomorrow? And he said, Kim, it's already Friday. Give yourself to Monday. And I think, you know, in a few days, you'll be fine. The next morning, I woke up and felt as if I'd been hit by a truck. I could barely breathe. I couldn't move my neck. My head hurt so badly. I couldn't have the light on. And it was at that point I realized this might be more than a few days. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk to Kim about kind of real what that realization was like for her and what ended up happening with her diagnosis and recovery. We'll be right back. This is Jennifer Cook of Norway Savings Asset Management Group. Here, we believe in family asset management. Simply put, it means we do right by you and your loved ones. And it's not necessarily the size of the portfolio we care about. It's the story behind it. A story that's unique to you. Let us help you write your next chapter. For more information, visit norwaysavings.bank. Investment products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed by the bank, and may lose value. And my sole goal was to get back to my job. 
until at one point, one of my therapists said to me, you need to stop that because if that's your only goal, then you're missing the progress that you are making. We're back with Kim Block talking about the concussion that she sustained in January of 2019. And Kim, so you were talking about realizing that this was potentially going to be a much longer recovery than maybe the couple days that the ER doc had had originally said to you. How did you come to that realization? Well, at that point, I don't think I was thinking really long term, but I did realize I was going to be I was going to need to be out at least another week. And at that point, I went to my primary care physician and, you know, he said, yes, definitely take another week. And at that stage, I was really going week to week to week. And there was a lot of anxiety in that because when I would I would let the station know on Friday or Monday, I'm going to need another week for this. And here's the doctor's note. And then I would say to myself, okay, great. I've got five more days. And by Friday, I'm sure I'm going to be fine. And so every week I lived like that. And, you know, then it would get to be Tuesday or Wednesday and the panic would start. And I'd realize, oh my gosh, this is not improving. And it would get to be Friday and I would start this process all over again. There was a lot of kind of cognitive awareness that you had to be on your game at all points in time. Did that sort of play into your decision of whether you could be involved with the newsroom or not? Yes, exactly. And at one point, the doctor said to me, Kim, honestly, short of being a professional athlete, I can't think of a a tougher environment for somebody with a concussion to be in because you've got you've got all of the triggers there. That's not what they advise for concussions. A lot of people think that no noise, no lights, but you're trying to see what your brain can handle. So I was trying to limit the exposure to those types of triggers, but I couldn't handle it. And it wasn't until about three weeks is when I realized I had to consult a specialist and the emergency room doctor, God bless him, had given me a little piece of paper and said, if you think you're not recovering like you should, this is who I would go to and, you know, call this person. And And so I got in to a specialized program and then I started a lot of things. I started speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, neuropsych evaluations, all sorts of things. How did it feel to call that specialist? And what I mean by that is, did it did it make the whole thing more real or more serious to you than maybe it had felt up until that point? Well, at that point, I just wanted to get better. And I, I wanted to talk to somebody who really knew about this condition. They weren't saying traumatic brain injury at that point. They were still saying post-concussion syndrome. And there is a bit of a difference. And so I was still hopeful. And my sole goal was to get back to my job until at one point, one of my therapists said to me, you need to stop that because if that's your only goal, then you're missing the progress that you are making. So seeing a specialist for me was, this is my ticket out of here. (laughs) You know, it wasn't, this is 
a bad thing. It was, okay, this is, this is going to help. And it did help. I did see a neuropsychologist. I called him about four months in for an evaluation. And one of the things he said to me was, I'm so glad that you're calling so soon in your recovery. And I paused for a lengthy amount of time. And he said, oh, you don't think four months is a little bit of time in your recovery, do you? And I said, no, I feel like four months, it's been forever. And that was my first insight into this world of post-concussion recovery. Sometimes I would work too hard and you face um, regression. And so it's just, it's, it's not a linear healing process. And that was tough to wrap my head around that there are going to be days where I'm feeling better, but then in a couple of days, I could be right back down in that curve again. So it took a long time to accept that. And you mentioned that for a long time, it was being referred to as post-concussion treatment or post-concussion recovery. At what point was the phrase traumatic brain injury used? There isn't a real marker or a point at which people say you're done and you're not going to get better. I think there's always room for improvement and progress for people with brain injuries. But once you've reached a year, it's likely that you're not going to see major improvement. The dramatic turns don't happen anymore. And at that point, they started referring to it as a traumatic brain injury. So I think it's more the length of time it's taking someone to recover. A concussion is a traumatic brain injury though, from the beginning it is. But I had to accept that fact about a year in, which is also when I started realizing I likely would not be able to go back to my job. So when that realization kind of came to you that you may not be able to return to your job, how did that feel? devastating. As I said, that really was my sole goal was to get back behind that anchor desk and do this job that I loved. I had just signed a three-year contract. I was very excited about being on the air behind the desk for 40 years, because as I told you a while ago, I didn't have that many women to look at who had those, that kind of a lengthy career. So I thought that'll be a milestone. And while I did make it 40 years with the company because of the radio work, it was a year short behind the desk, but beyond that, I just loved what I did so much. And I talked to them and I talked to my medical team. The station was very kind to hold my position open for an entire year. I don't think you could really ask for more than that. And at that year point, we sat down, my medical team, I I thought, could I go back part-time a couple of days? You know, they said, Kim, you can do what you want. (laughs) Here's our concern. You may fail at that. It may, you may be able to do it, but the rest of the time you may feel terrible and your quality of life will be diminished and will it be worth it? And the station needed me full-time. That's, that was the job, that was the position. And so we, we talked about it and they, there was a choice to be made. And they said, Kim, we can, you know, we can call it a day and you've had a fantastic career and we can have a big party and let the viewers know and have a proclamation and thank you and, and all of that. Or we can leave the door open and, you know, 
you stepped down from this position, but your family here, and as you continue to work towards healing, we'll, we'll see what evolves. And we would like you to stay connected with the station. And I chose plan B. And so this station was kind enough to allow me to, to say goodbye to my viewers, to speak for myself, to create a video, which was really, really challenging. And in a good way, reinforce the decision I had made because as I was writing this and, and the process of that, it was so difficult and being in front of the camera to record it, reading the teleprompter, you know, created symptoms. And it just, as sad as I was about that, at least it made me feel better about the decision that I was making. And they let me come on for a final six o'clock newscast. And that whole newscast was was devoted to not just just me and the, my career at, at Channel 13, but brain injury awareness. And I was really grateful for that. They did stories on it and, you know, talked to other people. And, and I, I just felt so passionate about if this isn't just about me leaving, it's about why I'm leaving. And it's about sharing this story which for the first time is not someone else's story. That's a really beautiful way to go out and continues the way that you had been as a news anchor, which was the bigger story about brain injury, much as you had been doing with the AIDS patients earlier and with the American Heart Association. Like it, it was still about this, this story that you were trying to educate people on. Exactly. That just meant so much to me. And it's, it's hard because you have to really be vulnerable and and share personal experiences and i wasn't really used to that in my role there but i did i did feel this was an opportunity to personalize this injury that i felt and still feel is misunderstood and to also just show people that as you're looking at me I appear normal, but so many people are walking around battling invisible illnesses and injuries and be kind and patient. And you hear that often, but living it, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had the experience of having to explain to somebody, please be patient with me. So do you still have any involvement with Channel 13 at all? Do you do anything with them today? Well, yes, they've been really great about letting me do some public service work, which I told you had been a passion of mine from the start. There are a couple of projects that I've been involved with for, for many years. One of them is Mary's Walk for the Maine Cancer Foundation. I'm also really supportive of local theater and the arts. And so I've done some public service announcements for Maine State Music Theater and in general supporting the arts. So there have been a couple of opportunities and I think there will be more. That's great. I'm glad the station was able to, um, and that you were interested in sort of staying involved with those causes that had been so close to you throughout your entire career. Let's take one more break and then we will come back with Kim and wrap up with what she has learned from both having the brain injury and, and having to walk away from her career unexpectedly. So we will be right back. Maine Biz is Maine's business news source in print, online, and in person. We inform, engage, and connect you to the business community throughout Maine. Subscribe to Maine Biz products today at mainebiz.biz. I'm just hoping that I can help give a voice to people who feel misunderstood 
and to you know put a face to something they may not have even thought about before. We are back with Kim Block talking about her traumatic brain injury and having to leave her anchor position at Channel 13 News. So Kim, at this point, you're three years post-injury. How are you feeling today? Well, certainly I've seen, I've gained a lot of ground and, and there's been a lot of improvement. And for that, I'm really, really grateful. The biggest challenges for me now are still the cognitive issues, the, the sort of complex mental tasks. Reading is still difficult for me. It's, I haven't read an entire book since my injury. I still have quite a bit of uh, headache, pain, and that is exacerbated by the tasks that I'm doing. So what, what I've learned to do, and I think this is really the big lesson, is how to navigate your life with what you have and to continue to live a purposeful life. I would just say that my passion now is continuing to raise awareness about this particular injury, and I hope to continue to do that. Living in my community and, and just, just being involved when I can, volunteering when I can, doing things that make me feel like my old self. <laughs> it's still there. I'm still there. It's just, there's just limitations in, in, in what I can do. So you talked a lot about wanting to have a full career in the newsroom and sort of represent women working their full careers in front of the camera. And then this injury forced you to walk away from your career before you had wanted to. Was there anything about doing that that made it easier for you? I had run into a friend of mine just prior to my decision to step away and I was talking to her and I said, I feel like I've somehow failed. You know, I'm 38, almost thir- I get 39 years at the station and didn't make it back. And that was my goal. And I didn't do it. And she said, well, at, who would you say this to, Kim? Would you go up to a teacher or an attorney or, or a nurse or anybody who'd worked in a career for almost 40 years and say to them, geez, is that all you got? <laughs> really? You couldn't do, you couldn't make it till, you know, next December instead. And I thought, oh, you're so right. I would never say that. I would say congratulations on what you did do and what you were able to contribute. And, and just, you know, the, just the achievement of the professional achievement is something I'm very proud of. And, and I have great memories and great friends, and I'll continue to find ways to tell stories. You told other people's stories for close to 40 years. How important has it been for you to be telling this story and getting this awareness out there? Well, all I can say is that during this whole time of going through this, me hearing from other brain injury survivors, reading their stories, connecting with them, made such a difference for me. Somebody I could really talk to about what I was experiencing, the biggest lesson for me and why I think it's so important to tell this story because of of how it helped me when I heard others, when others shared it with me. So I'm just hoping that I can help give a voice to people who, who feel misunderstood and to, you know, put a face to something they may not have even thought about before. Yeah. Just one last question for you, Kim. What have you learned about <laughs> taking care of yourself after this? 
Well, I mean, I have always been more of a caretaker. And so I think that's true for so many women. It was very difficult for me to ask for help. And I needed help from an army of friends and they, they rose. And just to be able to also set limits so hard to be able to say to somebody, I really want to see you, but I'm not going to be able to talk more than a certain amount of time. And you aren't going to be able to tell that. So I have to ask you to please look at your watch or your phone and and just say to me, Kim, it's been an hour. I've learned to slow down and to try not to feel like not being who I was means I'm not, you know, still a person able to contribute and, you know, be, be a mom and, and have a family who loves her and all of those things I'm, I'm really lucky about, but it was a huge piece of my identity for many, many years being a journalist. So it, it was a difficult thing to let go of when you haven't planned it. I think that's the challenge of this, these kinds of moments and injuries when, when something is taken away from you, as opposed to you making a decision to leave. So that's probably something I'll grapple with you know, for, for a while, (laughs) but again, um, staying connected and still finding ways to, to help in any way I can. That's, that's been really therapeutic and helpful and beneficial to me as well. I hope it is to someone else. This has been a production of MainBiz. Find out more about this podcast and other MainBiz media products at mainbiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank and Maine Technology Institute, or MTI. The Maine Biz podcast team includes Renee Cordes, Will Hall, Allison Mason, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedenka. Logo and marketing design by Matt Selva. Subscribe to the Maine Biz podcast at mainebiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Copyright 2022.